I tell you, I had a thought this morning when I was praying, preparing for this morning. And I thought about this. I thought about the devastation that so many of these people are facing. And, you know, it's interesting where Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, the storms are going to determine what you build on. In other words, if somebody builds on uh, sandy soil, the storm's going to come and they're going to be, their hope is not going to be there. But then he says, if you built upon a rock, the storm still comes. Do you, do you understand that? The storm comes to good and bad, and, but it's the foundation. And you see some people who lost everything. I saw that one picture of the video of the guy that the, the fish got into his living room down there and he dived in the, dove in the water. I said, God, may I be like that guy? Uh, even in the midst of devastation, may I be like that guy? And then the Lord reminded me of something else. Don't you wish every hurricane was as visible and gave you warning? Got a call this week from a dad, uh, an old high school friend, and he called me up. He kind of found me and called me up. He said, Mark, I need to ask you about something. His, he, I could tell his heart was real heavy. He said, he said his son, 30 years old, had just informed him that, that uh, uh, he, he was uh, cho- choosing an alternate lifestyle of homosexuality. And uh, this dad, all of a sudden, is just calling me up. A hurricane. Hurricane. Um, pastor friend of mine, his wife, decided she doesn't want to be married anymore. Hurricane. Um, cancer calls and, and, and uh, cancer treatments and other things that happen. Hurricanes. You know, you don't have them on your daytimer. I mean, it's, it just comes, and, and you wish it was visible. You wish that somebody would tell you out in the gulf of your heart there's coming a hurricane that's about to rock your world. But it doesn't work that way. It just happens. Death happens. Cancer happens. Broken relationships happen. And some of you are probably in this room, and you, you're, you're going through that very thing. You're thinking, Mark, I wish it was my house because it's not my house. It's my home. There's a difference. Uh, I wish it was my house, Mark, but it's my body. It's given. It's given up. I wish it was. I wish it was my house, but but Mark, it, it's it's a, a relationship or whatever it may be. And I would say, venture to say, there's hurricanes going on in this room today. And you wish, you wish somebody would come to your heart and give you some hope. And that's difficult. I mean, we're going to be mucking out houses. We're going to be doing all that. But how do you deal with your heart that's got a hurricane in it? I, here, here's my prayer because I also thought about this. You remember, you remember Jesus uh, was going through a crowded village. And as he's going through this crowded village, the crowd is all around him. And there's this feeble woman who's been hemorrhaging all her life. She comes and she reaches out and touches Jesus' garment and she's completely healed. And Jesus turns in the midst of all this crowd and says, who touched me? And the disciples said, listen, look at all this crowd, Jesus. I have a feeling they were kind of mocking him. Do you really? Everybody's touching you. And he said, no, somebody touched me. And this woman steps forward and the Lord just gently tells her that you have been made whole. You are whole. And uh, I think the, the encouraging word for that today is this some of you are in this crowd and you're thinking does jesus even know what i am going through and i want you to know he does he's waiting 
for you a little bit to touch his garment, but he is ready for you. And so, is it going to go away? You know, is, is my husband going to come back? Is my wife going to come back? Is, is, uh, is there going to be freedom? Is there going to be deliverance? Is there these things going to happen? I don't know. I don't know, but I just know that God wants to touch and bring wholeness where you're hurting so bad. And that's what I pray today. I, I, I'm, I want you to turn with me to 1 John just a minute. I'm going to abbreviate the message so you don't have to worry. But in 1 John chapter 5, we've been working through 1 John. And um, I, I want to just share with you some things today that I think are, are very vital. And um, like I say, they'll, they'll be brief, but they'll be to the point. I want to read 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And, uh, and this is what it says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Have you ever doubted your salvation? Have you ever doubted that you're really a follower of Christ? Oh, you did everything they told you to do. You walked that aisle. You were baptized. You went to Sunday school. You went to whatever. But yet there was always this nagging inside of you that says, I really don't know if I know. And, and it's a question that's been nagging you. And sometimes I, I, I'm a firm believer that, that if, the, if the enemy can get you to doubt whether you're actually a child of God, you'll be ineffective because you're thinking, I'm just doing this on my own. It has nothing to do with God. And so this doubt is always lingering in your, in your brain. I believe John wrote 1 John because he knew that some people were doubting. And what he was wanting to do is he was wanting to firm it up. And, and not, to, not to make them question whether they knew him, but to bring them security so that they could live the life that God intended for them to live. And so the question today is, do you know what you really know? Or what do you know that you know? And, and, and that's the question that, that sometimes is gnawing because until that question is settled in your spirit, you will be ineffective. Oh, you'll do some good things. You'll continue to come to church. You'll continue to do. But there will always be this nagging thing that if Christ were to return, I don't know if I'd go. I don't know if I'm truly saved. I don't know those, the answers to those questions. 
In this passage today, I believe John is wanting to deal with that. And so the way I'm going to look at it is I'm going to ask you three questions that I think are very important. The first question is this, is what have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Not what you've done with church, not what you've done. I mean, what have you done with Jesus? Because right from the very beginning in verse 1, everyone who believes is born of God. Call it a new creation, call it born again, call it whatever you, you want. But what do you really believe about Jesus? And then John goes into this talk about the blood and the water and all this kind of thing. And that kind of throws us off on what is he really saying there. It's kind of symbolic talk that when you look at the water, it could refer to baptism. It could refer to birth, you know, with the amniotic fluid. It could refer to the part of the temple worship was the labor, which was the cleansing of water. It could have meant all any of those things. But what it really boils into is that it looks like the humanity of Jesus. He was fully man. He, he was fully man. This is who Jesus came. He came to enter into these earth suits just like us, go through exactly what we went through. He was fully man. But then it talks about the blood, and the blood probably is a little more understanding for us because we think about the cross, we think about the sacrifice, we think about the giving of himself for, for mankind and what he did, which shows us the divine side of him. So what, what John is saying is this, he's saying, listen, it's not one thing just to have the human side of Jesus, but you must accept the divine part of him, which is mean he is Lord. See, everybody wants to accept the fact, oh, Jesus was a good example. Oh, Jesus was a good teacher. Oh, Jesus, he was a religious leader. Uh, probably 90% of America would be, agree with that historical facts about Jesus. But when it comes to the fact that he was God, that he gave his life, that he is Lord of all, that one day every man and woman and child will stand before the king of all kings. Oh, we don't want to handle that part. We want to have the head knowledge, but we don't want to come to that part of submitting. You see, that's what sin has done in our life, is that we, we are not willing to submit to the Lordship of, of Christ. And so we, we struggle through this. So what, what have you done with Jesus? It's like if you've got a piece of fish there that's supposed to be a filet, and you get a bone in it, you got to deal with that bone. And that's the way life is. You can, you can go through all kinds of life, but man, when it comes to Jesus, what are you going to do with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Have you come to the point of saying, yes, Lord, I need you? I, I'm going to use Matt's chair back here. Uh, you know, if, if I were to say, okay, do you trust Matt's chair to hold you up? And, and most of you say, sure, I trust Matt's chair. And I say, why do you trust Matt's chair? And say, well, it holds Matt up. It's built just like other chairs. So I just assume that it will, it will do what it's supposed to do. So that, that's what the, the chair is there for. But you're not really believing and trusting and put your confidence in that chair until you actually take your weight and you place it in that chair. Now you've trusted that chair. And you see, that's the way so much of life is when it comes to the relationship with Christ. Oh, I've, I've seen Matt sit in that chair, and I've seen other people sit in the faith chair. I've seen them do that kind of Christian walk. But as for me, I am from afar. Let me tell you, God does not have grandchildren. He only has children. And so don't be thinking, well, my parents sat in that chair, so I'm okay. Gosh, I'd love to say that. But I can't. Every person needs to put their weight upon Christ. You put your faith and your trust in Him. 
Let me tell you what keeps so many people in our country away from Christ. You know, you know what the, the, the God of our country is? It's moral deism. Now, somebody will say it's wealth, it's affluence, and that kind of stuff. It's actually moral deism. And here's what moral deism is. My good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, so God has to take me. That's what our country believes. You go to any funeral today, nobody is going to say, you know, man, he, he didn't know Christ at all. He's separated from God, but you don't have to be. You don't hear that. It's They're now in a better place. You hear that all the time. But that's a scheme of moral deism. It's like, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, and here's the deal, your, your bad deeds, you can always find somebody that you're better than, and so you justify your own actions. Only that the Bible tells us that our righteousness is like filthy rags. None of us have a chance. So we can stand and say, oh, somebody else can sit in that chair, but I don't need to sit in that chair. Oh, how many people have said that are now spending an eternity in hell? You've got to come and put your weight. Lord, I trust you. What you did on the cross, you took for me. And when you look in that mirror, you can't say, man, look how good I am. You're saying, God, thank you for what you've done for me. So the first question is, is what have you done with Jesus? The second question that I give to you is this, is what is Jesus doing in you? What is he doing in you? If, his, if, he, if you actually are a born-again one, if you're one that has come to a relationship with Christ and that his, he now indwells you, what is he doing in you? I mean, what, what is actually happening there? Are you not like you used to be? I'm not saying perfection. I'm just saying, have you seen growth? Have you seen that you're not what you used to be and you're not what you're going to be, but you know you're moving in a certain direction. There's this transformation that is coming. It always bothers me when, when somebody says, oh, they're a follower of Christ, but yet they're, they're living just like the world and there's no compulsion in them to, to not do that, to move forward in Christ. For there to be that transforming, moving somewhere. I'm not expecting... Uh, man, I look at my life. I live in this skin. I know the temptations I face. I know the lust that's there. I know that the, the, the attitude that creeps in so much. I know that struggle is there, but I know that God is moving me, uh, to, to levels. And so I ask you, what is Jesus doing in your life? There was a little girl who, um, had come to Christ and she wanted membership at her church. So she sat down with a little, a group of men to talk to them, and and they said, uh, she said, I want to join the church, and and they said, um, they said, uh, were you a sinner? She said, Oh, I was a sinner, and they said, uh, Are you still a sinner? And she paused and she said, To be honest, I'm probably a greater sinner now than I was then. And they said, Well, what's the difference then? She said, The difference is. I used to run to sin, and now I run away from sin. Not perfection. We all struggle. Man, these earth suits, the, the battle with the flesh is strong. The battle for the world is strong. The enemy wants to come against us strong. But the deal is, is that are we running to embrace that, or are we saying, oh, God, help me to walk out the life that I need to walk out? What, what is Jesus doing in you? You know, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, incredible uh, quote from John Newton. He said this, 
I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with greater, the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What a great thought. What is Jesus doing in you? What have you done with Jesus? What is Jesus doing in you? And the third question is this. What is Jesus doing through you? Through you. You were not to be a, a stopgap. You were meant to be a conduit of God's grace. What is he doing through you? And I'm not saying, are you teaching a class? Are you, are you out there winning everybody to Jesus evangelistically? I mean, we'd all want to be that. But what is he doing through you on a daily basis? How is he using you to love people? And when we, we've read through First John, I mean, it's always this loving other people, loving other people, loving other people. How can you have all of your stuff together and not take care of a brother who doesn't have it together? You've got you to be conduit. This love ought to be coming out of you instead of self-centered, just absorbing. It ought to be happening. So the question is, is what is he not only doing in us, but what is he doing through us to a world that desperately needs Jesus? And we talk about being Jesus in skin all the time, but what is he doing through you? A.W. Tozier, one of my favorite pastors to read, he said this, He says that people who are crucified with Christ have three distinct marks. They are facing only one direction. They can never turn back. And they no longer have plans of their own. I thought, man, that's good. Lord, you want us to face you. You want us to pursue you. And see, that's the other thing. It's about pursuing Christ. For some reason, we we have got this thought in our mind. I've made this decision. I've gone through the semantics of what they've told me to do or all the actions that they've told me to do. And that's what I've done. And so here I am. I've I've reached it. Only to reach thing, read things like what Paul said in the Scripture about that I am saved, that I am being saved, and I will one day be saved. In other words, he who began a good work in me is going to be faithful to complete it. The way I look at those who have some kind of faith in Christ or put their faith in God, they fall into one of three camps. The first one is what I call the quitters. Oh, they may have done something as a child or they may have uh, uh, somehow did something that was religious-oriented or had had an enamoring with Christianity or something like that, but it got hard. It got difficult. And they just quit. You say, that's for other people. Just quit. Just quit. Just get away from it. I, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And many of you know these people. They've just quit. The second group, though, is what I call the campers. They got to a certain level and they've pitched their tent and they've got a campsite set and this is the way it's going to be. This is exactly how it's going to be. I'm going to stay here until Christ returns. We just get comfortable. We get all the things in our life that are comfortable with our faith. We've got our church. We've got, we've got uh, uh, everything that we need. We've got our friends, our Christian friends. We've got all this set. This is camp. This is where it's going to be. We're going to stop right here. No more pursuing. We're just going to stop right here. Quitters and the campers. But there's a third group that I call the climbers. They are the ones that are pursuing on. You know, you read the Scriptures, and I, and I think, what makes the difference between so many of those people in the Scriptures 
in my own life and so often where I find myself is that they were hungry in a pursuit for Christ. I read about Paul who was, the, quote, the greatest Christian of all times, I guess. And in Philippians 3, he says, not that I have obtained this, but I press on with everything that is in me. I see this incredible straining that, that was inside of him to pursue after Christ. Even though he had a relationship with Christ that had been established, all of his life was a pursuit of Christ. And for some reason in the American culture, we have determined that our Christianity is all based on one little simple experiment, experience instead of pursuing on after Jesus Christ. Do I believe that you're born again? Yes. Do I believe that there's a birth date in the Spirit? Yes. But it's not a stop sign. It's a go sign. We are called to pursue after Christ. Question. What have you done with Jesus? Everybody's going to answer this question someday, folks. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because they're going to stand before Him. For some, it'll just be too late. What have you done with Jesus? What is Jesus doing in you right now? I mean, it's a growth thing. Or do, you, do you see anything going on? And then what is He doing through you as a grace dispenser? Everybody in this room, you see, you know, what's made the coastal experience of the hurricane so uh, personal to us is we all have somebody that's a, it's affected personally. And all of us know somebody that it's affected personally. What I've just shared with you, probably there's somebody in your mind that's a brother or a sister or a family member or a good friend who at one time for, for some time they were pursuing Christ and then something happened. They fell off the map spiritually. And your heart's got to break for that. I want you to bow with me just a moment, if you would. And just just close your eyes and just kind of settle in just a moment. I, I, I ask you this to your heart, just once again. What have you done with Jesus? Have you come to the point of surrender, literally surrender to Him? Lord Jesus, what you did on the cross, I, I am broken. I need forgiveness. I need your life. I need you. Have you allowed that to be your prayer? Surrendering the ownership of your life from, from you, from, from a darkness to a, the true light of life. What have you done with Jesus? And then... What is He doing in you? Are you starting to see things? I mean, is there something inside of you where His Holy Spirit is kind of nudging you towards to right living? Um, just like I said a while ago, righteousness exalts a nation. Is there something in you that's, that, that just seems to push you to right living? And when the flesh seems to creep up, there's something inside of you that gnaws and says, you know, that's not, not my desire for you. What's He doing in you? And then what's He doing through you? How's He using you to love your husband, love your wife, love your kids, love your neighbors, love uh, your co-workers, love fellow students, love the unlovely? How's He using you?